This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
Amen. Thank you, hearts of praise. And uh, aren't you grateful for the faithfulness of God in our lives? He truly is faithful in every way, isn't he? I am grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness in my life. As I reflect back uh, on my, my short life, although I keep getting reminded that my life is, uh, uh, is, is not so short, and uh, I, I'm getting older, and if you can't tell, um, let me just do this. <clears throat> that comes from having four, four daughters, I think. Uh, no, it's not their fault. Um, I, I thank the Lord for his faithfulness, and it is great to have my family with me here this morning, my wife, beautiful wife, Carrie, my four daughters, Mackenzie, Miley, Macy and Madison. It's always a privilege when they can travel with me and be a part of, of the ministry that I'm doing at Kansas Christian College. And what a treat it is to be back here with you at Eldorado Springs. I uh, feel like it's home and uh, some of the, the best years of, of, of ministry uh, for me as I was getting started out was right here at Eldorado Springs and serving with Pastor Joe. <clears throat> Uh, Jim and I are our buddies since uh, elementary and high school, and uh, you know he talked about dumping stuff in in that office. Jim, I'm not sure that's really anything different from uh, <laughs> ten years ago. <laughs> no, it's it's great to be with you, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share with you from from God's word this morning. Um, uh, I always enjoy the opportunity to do that. And this morning, I want to share with you from the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles and you want to you want to turn there with me, Joshua chapter three. We'll get there in just a moment. The version that I'm using this morning is the uh, ESV, but it's not that uh, dissimilar from whatever version you might be using this morning. <clears throat> um, and so I'll share from, from Scripture here in just, a mo- in just a moment. You know, about, uh, about 100 years ago or so, there was a, a band of brave souls that became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased um, single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed, as as the story is told, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. And as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved and everything they knew because they knew that they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that headhunters who lived there had martyred every single missionary before him. Milne did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. And for 35 years, he lived among among that tribe and he loved them with the love of Jesus. And when he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and they inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. It said, when he came here, There was no light. When he left here, there was no darkness. A.W. Milne was all in for Jesus. He was facing an impossible situation, going to a place where no other missionary had come out alive. But his his consecration to the Lord and and his will brought light to the darkness in the South Pacific. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5 is kind of our theme verse this morning, and I'll be sharing from, uh, from that passage and, and some surrounding verses in Joshua. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5 says this. It says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, we adopted this theme verse on our campus for this year, and we set 
as our campus theme, this idea of being all in. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to be all in for Jesus. Pastor and, pastor and author Mark Batterson wrote, my greatest concern as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in with Jesus Christ. They can follow the rules and never follow Christ. He said, I'm afraid that we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without selling out. We've made it too convenient, too comfortable. We've given people just enough Jesus to get bored, but not enough to feel the surge of holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide to follow him no matter what, no matter where, and no matter when. He said, if you don't go all in, you'll never enter the promised land. But if you go all out, God will part the Jordan River so you can cross through on dry ground. Joshua 3, 5 says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, it's helpful to understand the context of this particular verse. Joshua chapter 1 tells us, after the death of Moses, that Joshua had been appointed as the, the new leader of the Israelites. It's in this chapter that he spoke those famous words that perhaps we've heard. He spoke to Joshua saying, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. That's verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1. The land being referenced, of course, was the promised land. Then in Joshua chapter 2, we read about the two spies that returned from Jericho after the help of Rahab and reported to Joshua the good news. This is Joshua chapter 2, verse 24, said, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You see, they were reporting, they were reporting what Rahab had told them just a bit earlier when she said in verses 9 through 11 of that same chapter, chapter 2, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, b- before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. There was no doubt that this was the news that Joshua had been waiting for. The Lord was going to lead them into the promised land after all of these years of of wandering, of their forefathers wandering around because of their unfaithfulness and because of their unbelief. In fact, that's kind of a theme of the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. Um, We see the the faithfulness of the Israelites followed by their, their disbelief, their sin, their downfall, their restoration, and that's a cycle that repeats itself over and over again. And Joshua spread the word that they would be packing up camp and they'd be heading down to the Jordan uh, River to prepare to enter the land that God was about to give them. So in chapter 3, Joshua and the Israelites, they find themselves at the bank of the Jordan River during harvest season. Now verse 15 of Joshua chapter 3 gives us a little insight 
and to, to what they were experiencing in a little parenthetical statement. It says, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. So what we pick up on there is that the Jordan was at flood stage. It, it, and it's, it's been said that currents in the Jordan River can reach up to 40 miles an hour when it's at flood stage. It was anywhere from, from 3 to 12 feet deep and probably about a mile wide when it was at flood stage having flooded the brush-filled plains surrounding the Jordan. In short, this Jordan River at this time at flood stage was uncrossable. And this was the site that greeted the Israelites as they pitched their tents alongside the Jordan River that day. The Bible tells us that they didn't just spend one day there, but that they spent three days there. Can you imagine what this must have done to their morale? How could they cross with all of the children and with all of the livestock and with all of their possessions? And perhaps, just perhaps, their hearts were beginning to harden towards God once again. Has he led us here just to be disappointed again? The great question that loomed over the camp of Israel that day and the great question that looms over our lives today is this. Will we walk by faith or will we walk by sight? Do we really believe that God can handle the impossible? God was about to reveal to them what he echoed all throughout his word, that what is impossible with man is always possible with God. In your own personal life, you might be facing something impossible, even right now, something that has caused you to question God and his goodness, something that has caused you to question his plan in your life, something that has caused you disappointment. And for you this morning or today, it's your Jordan River. And we need to be reminded this morning that these things are no match for the God of the impossible, the God who melts the hearts of his enemies, the God who, who, the, the, the God who, who does uh, what seems uncrossable, the God of what seems uncrossable. And if we want to see the Lord do miraculous things, if we want to see the Lord do impossible things in our lives, we must be all in. How can we be all in? Well, the first thing that I notice as I reflect on this passage is this. In order to be all in, we must follow God's lead. You see, after three days, the officers went through the camp and, and they told the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Now, what was so significant about this command in verse three? Well, you see, the Ark of the Covenant signified the presence of of the Lord. In fact, on top of the ark was a, a gold plate that was called the mercy seat, over which two statues of cherubim knelt. We're, we're given that depiction in Exodus chapter 25, verses 18 and 19. But, but also in, in Psalm, Psalm chapter 80 and verse 1 and, and, and chapter 99 and verse 1, describe God as being enthroned upon the cherubim. And, and when the Israelites set up camp, the Ark of the Covenant was, was housed in the tabernacle inside a place that, we call, that was called the Holy of Holies. And this is where the presence of the Lord dwelt. The officer's instructions continued in verse 4 of Joshua chapter 3. said, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So now picture this scene. All of Israel is encamped on a sloping hill beside the Jordan River. 
The ark is positioned about a thousand yards from them, and everyone in the nation would be able to see it. The priests would would bear it by rods upon their shoulders as they headed toward the Jordan River, and everyone would understand the point that God intended for Israel to get through the Jordan River with him leading. But it could only be done if they were to follow his lead. When we're facing the impossible, we need to understand that it's important for us to follow God's lead in our lives. When we're facing the impossible, we need to do like Peter when he walked on the water. When he walked on the water, what was so miraculous about that was the fact that he kept his eyes on Jesus because he was the one that was making that happen. But the minute, the minute that he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked down at the water, he realized, hey, people don't walk on water. And that's when he began to sink. We, we must all follow the leading of the Lord in our lives so that where he leads, we will follow even if it's into the realm of the impossible, or even if we're facing that Jordan River experience in our life that seems uncrossable. The second thing that I notice about being all in is that we have to consecrate ourselves. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, but more than 100 years ago, there was a British, a British revivalist who issued a timeless challenge that echoed across generations. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Now, the original hearer of that call to consecration was, the man, was a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Perhaps you've heard of him. That That call shot straight to his soul and it defined his life. And in turn, really, if you look at his life, his life defined consecration. It was, it, this was Moody's all-in moment. He left an unmistakable imprint on his generation. And in the late 1800s, his sermons contributed to a great spiritual awakening worldwide. More than a century later, his passion for the gospel continues to influence millions through Moody Church, through Moody Bible Institute, and, and Moody Publishing. He left an amazing legacy, but it all started with a call to consecration. Anytime God is about to do something amazing in our lives, he calls us to consecrate ourselves to him. Consecration, though, is more than behavior modification. It's more than conformity to some moral code. It's more than doing good deeds. It's it's something much, much deeper than that. In fact, when you look at, at, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, the word for consecrate in the original language, the Hebrew, is kadash. And, and it's a word that's translated here as consecrate. And it, it means literally to prepare or to dedicate or to be holy, to be separate or to be set apart. By definition, then, consecration demands full devotion in our lives. It means that we dethrone ourselves and we enthrone Jesus Christ on the, 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 the throne of our hearts. It's surrendering all of me to all of him. And God was telling his people, the Israelites, in that moment, that if they were going to accomplish the impossible and see him do wonders among them, they had to be all in. They had to be set apart for him. They had to be holy. And that involved a couple of things. It meant that they had to address sin. Now, one of the primary reasons that Israel found their way blocked, and one of the reasons that we often find our way blocked in life is because of sin. Isaiah the prophet wrote 
in, in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. On the night before one of the greatest days in their history, Israel was commanded to be certain that they were right with God. They were, they were to examine their lives. They were to confess and forsake sins. They were to, to, to devote themselves wholly to the Lord. In short, they needed to be all in. Batterson reminds us that no matter how we slice it, sin leaves us with the short end of the stick. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers, while righteousness pays dividends for eternity. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Samson sold his secret for a one-night stand. Judas sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. What were they thinking? In the end, they weren't thinking. Nothing is more illogical than sin. Sin is temporary insanity with eternal consequences. It's not worth it, and we know it, yet many times, oftentimes, we do it. We sell our soul for so little instead of going all in for so much. C.S. Lewis described this tendency to sell God short. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased, Lewis says. I'm not sure what sin may be holding you captive this morning. I'm not sure what corner of your heart or your life is keeping you from fully consecrating yourself to Jesus. But he wants to cleanse your heart. He wants to come into your life if you haven't made that decision yet this morning. And it starts by letting him in, not just partway in, not just opening the door a little bit, not just letting him into that first room, but really it's about letting him all in. If we want to see God do wonders in our midst, we too have to confess and turn from God-revealed sin in our lives. We have to do that individually. We have to do that corporately. And it's time to answer the knock on the door of your heart. It's time to open the door and invite Jesus in if you haven't done that yet. It's time to go all in with the one who paid it all. Consecration involved addressing sin, but it also means we have to be spiritually alert. Consecration or purification in the Old Testament also involved things like washing your clothes and bathing and abstaining from sexual relations and changing your work schedule and, and many, other th- many other things. You see, when, when they went through this time of purification or, or consecration, they deliberately interrupted good and normal functions in life by God's command in order to be on spiritual alert. God was about to do some amazing things among them. And they didn't want to miss it by being involved in things that they could do at other times. And so consecration means that at times, during that time of consecration in our life, it means that we're going to set aside the typical. We're going to set aside the routine. And we're going to put our spirit on alert to see where God is working so that we can join in. If we're going to see God do wonders in our midst, we will need to be spiritually alert and in tune with the Holy Spirit to see where he is working so we don't miss out. The final thing that I notice from this passage regarding being all in 
is that being all in means that we must step out in faith. Look what happened the next day. The people were given very specific commands to follow, and they did. This is Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. It says, And when the soles of the feet of the priests, bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeraton, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And, and, here, and here's what it says. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. And now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. <laughs> the moment of truth had come. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the floodwaters and they stood still right there. The command of God to step into the water called for them to get their feet wet. And if you think about it, faith moves us forward in God's way and in God's timing. There's going to come a moment that we have to act on what God says, that we have to act on what we know to be true, that that, that God has spoken to us. If we don't, we will never experience the wonders of the Lord in our lives or in our midst. Many times we want God to reveal the second step before we take the first step of faith. But if we don't take the first step, God usually won't reveal that next step. Most of us, or at least me, (laughs) like to follow Christ to the point of precedence, the place where we have been before. You know, God, I'll follow you up to this point because I know you've answered prayer and I've seen what you've done. But anything beyond that, that, Lord, it's gonna be tough. (laughs) And and we don't wanna go beyond that. The Israelites had never been here before. They had been to the banks of the Jordan. I'm sorry, the Israelites had been here before. They had been to the banks of the Jordan, but they hadn't been any further than the banks of the Jordan. What they were being asked to do was taking them into an unfamiliar territory that day. Many times we're afraid of doing what we have never done because it's unfamiliar territory in our lives, so we leave unclaimed the new gifts and new anointings and new dreams and new blessings that God might want to bring to us and give us. The story is told that, in, that the African Impala is well known for its remarking, re, remarkable leaping capability. It can jump 10 feet high and 30 feet long. And, and you might, one might think that it would be difficult for zookeepers to keep them in their enclosures, but, but it's told that it's really quite simple because a three-foot wall is all that's needed. And the reason why a three-foot wall is all that's needed is because the Impala will not jump if it cannot see where it's going to land. <laughs> you know, we often have the same problem in our lives. We want a money-back guarantee before we take a step of obedience, but that eliminates faith from the equation. We just need to take that step of faith. Sometimes it's even a a leap of faith. We need to step into the conflict without knowing if that conflict's going to resolve. We need to pray for a miracle without knowing whether or not God's ever going to answer. We need to share our faith without knowing how our friends are going to react to it. We need to go after a dream that's likely to fail without God's intervention. 
There will come a moment that we must act on what God says, and if we don't, we will never experience the wonders of the Lord in our midst. Following God's lead is essential. Consecrating ourselves to the Lord is vital, but we will never cross that river. We will never reach or achieve the impossible unless we take that step of faith. Our eyes, our eyes and our heart can be right on, but if we don't move our feet to meet the challenges, then we will never progress forward in God's work and what he wants to do in our lives. We must commit ourselves to doing what God is doing or it won't happen. Let me bring this in for a landing this morning. Jonathan Edwards was an intellectual prodigy entering Yale University at the age of 12. And he's buried at Princeton University where he served as president until his death in 1758. Jonathan Edwards was the author of dozens of volumes, both theological and inspirational. And it was Jonathan Edwards who sparked America's first great awakening with his sermon titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But his greatest legacy may be his descendants, which include, get this, more than 300 ministers and missionaries, 120 university professors, 60 authors, 30 judges, 14 college presidents, three members of Congress, and one vice president. Wow, what a legacy. (laughs) That legacy, like every spiritual genealogy, traced back to a defining moment. And for for Jonathan Edwards, that defining moment was January 12th, 1723. He made a written consecration of himself to, to God in his diary. He wrote, I made a solemn dedication of myself to God and wrote it down, giving up myself and all that I had to God to be for the future in no respect my own to act as one that had no right to himself in any respect and solemnly vowed to take God for my whole portion and felicity, looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness nor acting as if it were. You see, friends, there's nothing that God can't do in and through a person who is fully and 100% consecrated to him, to the person who's all in. Friends, I don't know about you, but I long to see what only God can do in my life. I'm the president of Kansas Christian College. I long to see only what God can do on our campus. Here in your church, perhaps you long to see what only God can do in your church and in your community and even in your life. I hope that you long to see God do only what God can do. And friends, we must believe that nothing, nothing is too difficult for God. We must focus on Christ and follow him. We must cast out all sin, all known sin, and, and, and we must set ourselves apart to him. We must be ready to step out in faith when he does his work. Friends, God wants to do some amazing things. God wants to do wonders among us. He wants to do a wonder in your life. And so my challenge to all of us this morning is let's be all in for Jesus and watch him do some amazing things in and through us. Amen? Will you stand this morning as we close in prayer? Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for the privilege we've had of being in your house this morning to truly worship you. Lord, we give you all the honor and the praise and the glory for your many blessings in our lives, for your faithfulness in our lives as as we heard sung about this morning. Father, we thank you so much that you reached down out of heaven and and you, you picked us up uh, out of the miry clay, that, that you, you saved us from our sins. Lord, we're not worthy of that this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you, 
you, you want to guide us in our lives. And Lord, that you want to do some amazing things in our lives. And Lord, in response, in return, I pray that you would help us to be fully consecrated to you. That we would say today, we would drive a stake in the ground. If we haven't done that already, Lord, that we would say, Lord, I'm all in for you. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'm all in. And Lord, I don't know where each one may be in their life this morning. I don't know uh, where they may be in their spiritual journey. But Lord, whatever it is this morning that you're prompting us to do, that, to take that next step to be all in, I pray that you'd help us to be obedient. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to worship you. We give you all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.